Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About Public Code, a space where we talk to members of our community who are actively using public code in their code bases. My name is Alba Roza and I'm one of the code base stewards uh, of the Foundation for Public Code. And uh, as you can see, right, right next to me, uh, the person that hosts the, the live cast today is uh, not my colleague Jana Inali, but another member of our team of stewards, Eric Herman. Welcome, Eric. Hello, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, well, uh, Eric is one of the of the code base stewards. I said, uh, in his case, he's the quality lead, uh, which means that he's the person mostly in contact with the developers of the code bases we we work with. Uh, so, Eric, uh, what are we going to be talking today about? Well, as you said, I work with developers of code bases, and recently we had something interesting that unfolded with one of the code bases that I work with, and that is the OpenZAC code base. Mm. And so we have today Sergey Martins and Tiarek, who work on, who are both developers on the OpenZAC code base, and and let's uh, let's invite them on and have them introduce themselves a little bit. Sure. Hello. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thanks. So maybe we, you can introduce yourselves. My name is Sergey Martins. As uh, Eric said, I'm a developer at Maker Media. A little bit of context. I think I started working with Python and Django as a developer when I was in university around 2009, and then became a professional Django developer in 2013. I also have some yeah some involvement in open source code bases and coaching at Django Girls events, for example. So. The Foundation for Public Code kind of feels like a nice place to be in for me. <laughs> Excellent. And Tjerk. Yeah, hi, I'm Tjerk Vaax. I'm from Contessa. I've been a developer for two years now and also a technical consultant. It's mainly what I do for Contessa. Uh, before that, I was a teacher, actually. But, uh, then I uh, reached, uh, I went to school again and, uh, and became a developer. I've been working with Alfresco. And Alfresco is also open source, so yeah, it's for me, it's it's easy to work with public code because Alfresco is in, in main, from the main thing is is also so open source. That's my Just background. Fair. Thanks for the introduction, guys. Uh, I have to yeah. admit, Eric, that uh, I'm pretty excited about uh, today's episode because it's the first time we're going to talk to developers that use public code from the vendor perspective. In this case, not yeah. uh, civil servants that we're usually talking to, right? Yeah, that's that's indeed. Yeah, so so let's start with first off, just what is OpenZoc? Maybe you can give a, a a quick description of that. Yeah, yeah. So OpenZoc is basically a software application, server side application that provides the APIs to do what they call case management. And case management is a uh, a form of uh, process oriented way of working, which is applied by the Dutch municipalities. Not all of them. Uh, municipalities can choose themselves if, if they want to do case management or not. But the principle of case management is that for all involved parties in the process, there's a, a good and quick communication feedback cycle on what is happening and get input and output. So OpenZAC is a production-grade implementation of the standard for APIs for case management. That's a whole mouthful. Um, yeah. Where OpenZAC uh, then focuses on security, performance, data integrity, reliability. And uh, one of the side effects of that standard is that we also uh, support the Public Records Act really well, which is important in terms of Dutch legislation. Right. So not only is it open source, but clearly it has a direct connection to implementing policy. Yes, it does. So there's uh, there's a direct connection with uh, legislation that applies in the Netherlands. Yes. 
And so you're from Mechan Media, and you started the development there as open source software, but obviously you're now working with other vendors providing these services and implementations to municipalities and, and perhaps other organizations. Yeah, that, that's right. In terms of working with other vendors, um, well, m- maybe the perspective of public code as uh, by, by publishing an entire project as open source and public code is new for us. Uh, before that, we have published various libraries that we use in code bases and closed source code bases. So the whole principle of collaborating on a common code base, on something that is open source with different people, that's not particularly new, but the, the new aspect is having uh, an actual product being developed. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important if we give a little bit of, of context maybe to our audience first. Yeah. The main reason why we set up this podcast today, this live cast with this uh, developers, is because uh, recently a vulnerability was discovered and result within the OpenSAC code base. And uh, yeah, that's why today we're going to be talking with developers that have worked and are working still in OpenSAC during that moment. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can unfold what was learned along the way, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. Sergey, I think probably the first couple of questions are go to you, although Jack, please jump in. But first off, how was the vulnerability discovered? Yeah, so that, that's... A bit of a long story, so my apologies for that. But the vulnerability in essence is um, cross-origin browser resources uh, in nature. And it happened while I was working on a different project. We were splitting up the backend and the frontend. So uh, building the backend as an API and the frontend as a single page app. Our uh, frontend developer for that, yeah, we wanted to provide like the most convenient way for them to deal with stuff. So having backend and frontend hosted on different domains, you get into contact with uh, the cross-origin resource sharing policy, as they call it. So, of course, uh, in short. So I was setting that up to basically allow everything from the backend to the frontend so that the frontend developer could do everything they wanted without any hassle. And I remembered that we had done a similar setup for the reference implementations of the APIs uh, for case management. So I started looking at those settings because it's easy to copy-paste those, of course and reuse the same libraries. And that actually triggered me to look at OpenZAC to verify, hey, how are those settings configured in OpenZAC? Because the reason for that is that OpenZAC uh, reuses a large, was basically bootstrapped from the reference implementations. And then we started tweaking stuff to make it performant and also tied things down security-wise. But we missed uh, the course configuration. So it was just a hunch by working on a different project that went like, hey, this is insecure by default, maybe I should look at this other project that uses the same library. If it's a problem, confirm that it's not a problem. I confirmed it was indeed a problem. Okay, so it didn't come from the outside. It actually came from you, one of the developers on the project, having the insight that something had been overlooked. Yeah, it's a, it's really a mindset thing. It's um mm-hmm. it's it's a mind mindset thing to always look at things from a security perspective. So I, I, it's definitely something that came with experience because very junior developer me would have not spotted this. Okay. Yeah, we all learn as we go. Exactly. What was the potential maybe for, for impact, but also the, the likely existing risk? Yeah, I'm glad you phrased it like that uh, because the potential impact versus the likely uh, risk are very different things. Uh, the potential impact is uh, disastrous. <laughs> in the sense that um, technically, if all the stars aligned against us, in this case for OpenZAC, uh, it could mean extraction of uh, sensitive data by leveraging uh, the tools to view the data using the admin interface. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, of course that would be uh, the worst possible scenario. But uh, the likelihood that it had an actual impact is very low. We were not actually able to come up with a working exploit. So it was clear from the pattern that there was an issue, but we were not able to write an exploit uh, that confirmed that this was a a very urgent issue. Um, And that was because of other sane uh, and safe defaults uh, that prevented essentially credentials to be sent along. Right. So uh, like many systems, there isn't just one check, there's layers. And as long as there isn't a hole that goes through all layers, probably things are likely to be fine. Yeah. So so maybe you can describe what was the fix in general terms? The fix was very simple in general terms. It was um, change the default settings. So change yep. a couple of uh, configuration settings so that they are now secured by default and that the feature is not enabled. Uh, and then refactor the settings a little bit so that any end users installing uh, OpenZack that do want to make use of course, for whatever reason that may be, so that they can opt into that behavior instead of having to not well instead of not even being able to opt out right. uh, because it was not configurable at all. Okay, so you discovered it, and then maybe you can talk about the timeline there. How did you go from, uh, so we already know how you discovered it, uh, and you've spoken a little bit about couldn't formulate an exploit for it, but we went from you knowing about it to it being rolled out to all the installations. Kind of how did that unfold? What was the process there? Yeah, that was interesting since, um, uh, as you said in in the introduction, there was no process yet. We found it out along the way, but it turns out to have created a process in that sense. While I was preparing for this, I actually wrote down the dates and I surprised myself a little bit on how fast everything went. Um, so to re- recap, uh, we discovered the vulnerability on November uh, 30th uh, last year. And then the first action was, okay, this looks like an issue. So in the same day, it was uh, trying to come up with an exploit. Can I actually exploit this? And I was like, mm, I'm not sure, but probably someone smarter than me, they can exploit it. So then we, uh, I created a private uh, repository on GitHub. Uh, our code base is hosted on, uh, on GitHub. So create a private repository uh, with only uh, the members of the technical steering group uh, having access. So that's about five or six people off the top of my head with the intent of, hey, uh, we can discuss this in private uh, without um, malicious actors also seeing what is happening because public code, well, the drawback sometimes is that it's all public. So then uh, looking at that uh, on December 1st, so one day later, we had a security advisory drafted. GitHub has excellent tooling for that, so that's cool, uh, which allowed us to draft the security advisory, uh, which also prevents it from being made public before it's published. So you can also discuss stuff in security advisory itself. And also patch development uh, was started. Uh, We got a private fork uh, through the GitHub security advisory uh, so that we could work on that in all privacy and get things reviewed and tested. And uh, yeah, the the patch itself was just basically changing some configuration settings. Very small, not exciting at all. So the pull request for that was submitted on the same day, uh, so December 1st. And then basically, okay, let's get this reviewed by all the members of the technical steering group. Did we miss anything? That whole uh, shebang. And the reactions on that pull request came on December 2nd and 3rd. So in about three to four days, we had discovery to fix, to accepted fix, essentially. And then came the time period to inform any uh, clients and other installations that, hey, 
there is a security fix coming up. You should probably allocate some time for that and uh, get that planned. And then the security advisory itself with the CVE was published on December 17th, about two weeks later. So total time span, time span about two and a half weeks. I want to yeah mention like there was uh, I guess the audience have, has already seen it like uh, there was like the link to the GitHub from OpenSec repo there it is so uh, yeah if you're curious to take a look at this security issue or any other issues just come by yeah. and uh, talking about the this community I would like to ask you guys like uh, maybe you Sergey to continue the conversation with you how did the collaboration between developers went or go in this case how did it go yeah I'm. This may sound negative, but um, because it was um, a, a small patch, uh, it was basically a one-man show in the sense that I discovered it and uh, supplied the fix. But I did get a, a very quick check from my colleague, uh, Yuri, who I can just ping on our own uh, internal Slack. So that's easy, of course. And then it was um, yeah, a matter of reaching the other developers, so Tjerk, Anton, Tahir, uh, mm -hmm. to also get them to look at, uh, at this uh, pull request. That could have gone a little bit better. We learned from it on the on the technical steering group meeting. We, uh, yeah, we we had feedback on that process and also, hey, if you don't have anything meaningful to say, please just reply so that we know that you have seen it and don't have anything to add. Rather than leave people uh, in the open and think, did they see it? Did they not see it? Should we go ahead or not? So it became clear that communication, explicit communication, is very important in this. And so, Terk, uh, what what was it like from your perspective? So it kind of dropped on you hey there's this private fork yeah. there's this open thing here's a patch to review what was that what was that like from from your side there yeah well uh it was it was pretty fast when he, he figured this uh vulnerability out so he, pretty soon we knew about it okay we also at contessa we're also uh, creating an open open source application which is also is case oriented, where we use OpenSAC, but we were still in the beginning of this phase. So we are more uh, using OpenSAC for calling the API so we get all the information back from OpenSAC. And we're, we're not really focusing on what on the security issues here. And um, so we didn't really notice. And in our older versions of the application, we didn't, didn't bother really because we all only used dummy data. And there wasn't really a vulnerability for us. So when he mentioned it, we just uh, thought, okay, we have to get this version pretty fa fast, so that uh, that this fix is also for a uh, uh, fix for us for the for the other for the other ap application. And and the good thing was, so we upgraded it, and there didn't have any problems at all. It worked pretty good on Alfresco, uh, the uh, the the version we use. So it was, it was fine. So we didn't uh, have any problems at all. How many installations did you have to manage or work with or talk to and get this rolled out there? Because that's that's one thing to be a developer and, and mm -hmm. say, okay, I've got it in my development environment, but it's another thing to say, okay, and now it needs to be in production everywhere we have it installed. Was that a big process? Was that very easy for no, you? No, not at all. It was just like maybe one one file one file we have to fix. And mm -hmm. We just, yeah. And then, uh, of course, we had to test it first and... We didn't have any problems, so we could bring it in production pretty fast. Cool. Yeah. Now, first we thought we, we had maybe we had, uh, we'll have some problems because uh, in the past we also had uh, work with cores and we had some problems with that. So 
we really, really thought, okay, maybe this going to be have, will be have problems for us as well. But um, I don't know what Sergey did, but he did good, so uh, we didn't have any problems. It was fine. Maybe it was also uh, good that that, uh, that we we are just in the beginning and we only use dummy data, so it wasn't really a problem. If you if you look at the way of, of data leaking or something. Yeah, of course. And yeah, how yeah. how did the the users respond when you contact them? Uh, they didn't know because they, <laughs> they, they, no, because we fixed it pretty well. Yeah, and then they uh, only they didn't have the test um, uh, environment. There was at that time there was still setting up the test environment for them. So when when that was ready, we also used the new version of OpenZack. So oh, okay. Yeah. They did, yeah. So, so they, they didn't it, have to know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Sergey, what about uh, your installations? Um, how did the customers respond to the news on their side? Yeah, personally, I, I'd like them to respond a bit more. Installation uh, so <laughs> that that I um, uh, managed myself. So within basically one hour of the Docker image being published, that was deployed uh, on the Kubernetes cluster, and all the deployments are essentially automated. So it was just bumping a version number, uh, running the deployment, and that's being done and then reporting back in the Slack, hey guys, uh, OpenSAC had this uh, uh, security issue. Uh, I deployed the, the fix already and they were like, okay, thank you. Uh, right, so okay. Cool. Uh, but we also have an, uh, a few other installations that we did. So, so there's a little bit of a difference between installations that we did as one-time thing uh, versus ongoing support. Uh, installations yeah. and ongoing support. But the, the reaction was basically the same. Uh, I think... In, in about 10 people that we contacted, one of them uh, replied with, I'm not even sure if it was an on-topic reply to that, but one of the 10 replied and the nine others they basically just didn't reply at all. Um, and I think it highlights uh, a problem on how people look at software and uh, if you're looking at budgets and, and all that stuff, like what are they really concerned with? And... Um, <laughs> I think they should be more concerned with uh, security fixes and uh, quality of code bases. I do have uh, a question. I, Sorry, if it's still have yeah. a question. It's for you, Sarah. Uh, what did you do with the older versions? So you normally you can, if you want, if you want, you can uh, get an older version of uh, of OpenSAC and use it. But what, yeah. what did you did did with the older versions, which yeah, still so has this vulnerability? Those are all still on uh, on Docker Hub as a tagged okay. uh, versions, and and the change log has a clear mention of the vulnerability. Uh, we left okay. them as is, because you don't want to break any existing installations for people that you're not aware of uh, that mm-hmm. are running the software. There's definitely a number of people that are using OpenSAC, whether it be for testing or in production, that we just don't have any contact details for. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to break those installations by pulling the insecure versions. And we're also looking at different minor versions. So we are confident that the upgrade process is backwards compatible. So yeah, you, you can't do more than just encourage them to update as soon as possible. And we did our duty. Now it's up to you. It sounds like from the installations that you knew about and that you had direct contact with, that neither of you faced a any sort of backlash that was like, oh no, what what do you mean there was a security problem? Looks like that in all cases, people were happy enough to learn there was a security problem and now it's fixed. It seems like people were happy enough to learn that or disinterested enough maybe. Yeah, that's that's a good one because yeah, maybe I'm a little bit disappointed of the lack of response, but maybe I should be grateful in the sense that uh, they didn't decide, oh, hey, you developed insecure software, uh, so we're going to look at a competitor, for example. So that's one way of looking at it. 
I do think that most people have the realization that bug-free software does not exist. So it's good to keep that in mind and, and build on those layers of uh, multiple layers of defense uh, in terms of security. What would be uh, different the next time a vulnerability is reported? And I'm interested in both of you, uh, both views. I'll, uh, I'll let Jack answer that one first. Okay. Yeah. What would what would for the next time if if something happens like this again? Yeah. No. What yeah. will be different next time a vulnerability is reported? So well, based on I, I, what well, you've learned. I think the difference will be that some of the final products will be in in production for our customers pretty soon. So if there is a vulnerability issue, then then it will be a big problem because the then data data then is leaking. Maybe it will get on the news or something, and then you have a big, big problem for the name of your company. So if a vulnerability like this will happen, then maybe what Sergey says, everybody have to have to be pretty sharp and have to react as soon as possible to fix these kind of problems before a lot of other people will know. So I think more is like re the reaction of, of all developers have to be faster than last time. Like, okay, it's okay, still okay, everything is still in test, and we only use dummy data, so it's not a big problem, but um, we have to be more aware of, okay, now it's in production and we have to be focused on this, I think. Yeah, okay, Sergei? Yeah, that's, uh, um, I'm actually a little bit uh, uh, triggered in a positive sense by what Jack says. Once mm -hmm. stuff is in production, I think it's also down to the users of uh, OpenZAC mm -hmm. uh, and the municipalities to have the right processes in place to be able to uh, look at were there any infractions, as in, was there any data leaked? Can we find that from the logging and have a essentially a post-mortem process to figure out what was wrong? Maybe we could help with documenting certain processes or uh, tips on where to look uh, for that. One thing that I find important is that we, uh, I feel like we should get a better uh, ID of the users of OpenZAC. And then typically you, you want to get the contact uh, details of the DevOps engineers, uh, typically that manage the installations. Uh, of course, your own clients, you have to contact details. So those are uh, fairly easy to uh, to contact. But other people that are tech savvy enough to manage it themselves, you, you want to be able to reach them uh, in case that they miss it, in case that they are not subscribed to the mailing list or uh, any other challenge. Because nowadays we all get buried in notifications. And then there's always the question of, do you want some telemetry or phone home options? And I am ethically very strongly against that. So you don't want to build that into OpenZAC. But we are looking, from, I think, from the technical steering group, we are looking at options on how can we get people to provide an email address or contact details so that we can notify them on future security vulnerabilities if they happen. Of course, we hope they don't, but never say never. So uh, I believe we have uh, some questions right now in the chat, in the live stream. There it is. Boris is asking, what could customers change in their procurement process to solve for new security issues on software they're not really interested on having continuous development on? Yeah, I think there needs to be a certain awareness of semantic versioning. What does it mean to have uh, a particular version, like minor version versus patch version, uh, so that Customers do not, they will not be forced into a major upgrade, for example, which might cascade through the entire system built around it. So OpenZAC provides APIs. There's a bunch of other applications. 
that consume those APIs. So you can't just push them into a new major version. Minor versions should be backwards compatible. So that should be fine. So I think they, they have to have an awareness of that and be able to formulate it. And also, if the, if the installation is managed by service providers like Contessa, like Making Media, it would be good to have in their contracts that the service provider has to allocate a certain amount of resources to supporting the project, even if it's only bug fixes, uh, security fixes that could lead to yeah, that particular version, a patch version, uh, and contribute that back to uh, the community. So a couple of things come out of the, the various statements that you each made. One is that you talked about the technical steering committee working on a way to allow uh, deployments to have their DevOps people sign up for notification on these things. But also, I, I wanted to say that that in the process, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier that one of the things you found easy was the creating the common vulnerability and uh, exposure number, that, that getting that CVE number through GitHub was very straightforward, that creating the, the repo there, that that all went pretty well. And something that, that I'm pretty interested in is that uh, there's an open pull request right now, or I, I maybe it's closed. Last I looked, it was open. Um, that is documenting the process that unfolded there. And one of the things that I think is going to be different next time is that uh, you have the experience of having done this once, and you know that contacting each other is more important, and you know that getting in touch with your installations is more important. So I'm expecting that those are things that are going to be different. But maybe there's maybe there's something that you would hope would be different that isn't even yet in that in that uh, pull request there. Uh, is there anything that you would like that, boy, next time I really wish A, B, or C, either of you? I'm, I'm trying to come up with something, uh, but I'm glad you mentioned the open pull request and, uh, it's, it's a good step because it's just a follow. Yeah. Basically a, a, a recipe to follow on how to handle this. What I am curious for, if a security vulnerability happens, uh, I'm curious to see how the process will look like if we actually get contacted by an outsider of the project. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you think uh, that'll be different? Yeah, because. As developers, we are used to users submitting bug uh, reports and, and sometimes not providing enough information to be able to reproduce or even estimate what the severity of the bug is. Uh, so I'm curious how uh, a certain, yeah, if a security vulnerability is mentioned via the email address mentioned in the documentation, how that will look like. Will it have a reproducible test case or will there be a lot of work involved? If it ends up, then who will pick up the work? That's also a question that cannot possibly be documented yet uh, because, yeah, you just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. And also what I'm afraid of is that people do not find this documentation uh, on how to report security vulnerabilities and that they report it as a bug on, yeah, on the public GitHub. Or they reported as a bug on the public GitHub, and they're not even aware that it's a security vulnerability. Then, yeah, that, then you have a, an urgent case that you really want to get the technical steering group all together very quickly, get this resolved as soon as possible, because then it can actively be exploited. Before moving on, I, I would like to clarify something because. Of course, all the information related to OpenSAC for anyone that is watching us that maybe is not aware of, you know, is not so deep into it as, as maybe the four of us here are, you can uh, go to opensac.org, which is the website. So uh, you can find all the links, all these GitHub uh, repo that they are talking about, the issues, all the conversations, even the technical steering uh, group that they've, they've mentioned before, which is basically a call 
uh, in which, you know, follow like several topics as for instance, like the backlog or several dis decisions that have to be taken happen in this call. So all that information is well detailed in there. So that was something I wanted to clarify before moving on. And um, yeah, I don't know if uh, Turk yeah. also wants to reply to the previous question that Eric made. Answer? Yeah, well, I think it's difficult for me. I never experienced uh, that that a customer uh, uh, noticed an, an vulnerability issue like this. So I don't know how, well, how, how we will react. It's just uh, I don't have the experience. So I don't know. Well, I was very impressed with how uh, how how this one unfolded. I thought you all on the technical steering team did a really top shelf job on handling it through the whole process from, from beginning all the way out to deployment. I thought you really did a, a very excellent job. Uh, okay. Well, guys, uh, I have a broader question now. Um, and it's for me the most, uh, I don't know, the thing that caught my eye the most uh, from you guys in order to invite you to this episode is not only, of course, the security issue, but also the fact that you both are vendors working with uh, public code for uh, a public entity. So mm -hmm. my question is, why have you chosen to work with uh, open source for public entities? So hold on, I'd like to get a clarification there. Are we asking what is their uh, vendor, their employer's position on it? Or are we asking them personally, why did you, I mean, uh, Sergey, you mentioned uh, you have some ethics thoughts earlier. So are we asking more the personal question or the vendor's official position? Well, the, I guess the personal one, right? Like why yeah, a developer, why a yeah, developer so. chooses this career path, basically. Okay, good. Shall I start? Okay. Please. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, why, why I chose? Now, well, I chose to to work at Contessa because they uh, they yeah they they work with Alfresco and well, let, let's be honest. This is my first job as a developer, so for at Contessa, so I don't have another a lot of experience before because like, like I said, I was a I was a teacher before in a whole other section. So um, I don't know if really okay. I'm I'm really choosing for uh, working with open source because of a reason i don't know but i just chose uh contest because I, I i was interested in the in the company and then and, and i was interested in alfresco and i want to know more about working with uh with ecm and working open source code so it was for me it was just a learning experience and now i am uh, you know, two years further and i'm still interested in this uh in in, in learning uh, working with open source code so for me that I especially choose for uh, working with open source, but uh, more I learned it along the way, and I I got fond of it. So and and got and got more interested in it. So I'm still learning actually. So difficult difficult to say why you really uh, explicitly want to uh, work with open source. Yeah, I, I don't know. Still learning along the way. Well, you you made the choice anyway, right? Like you could have been yeah. another type. So conscious or unconsciously, the choice was made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, was choosing working with an ECM system. So, so um, yeah, working with, with content, and it, and it was working with an open source system like a Fresco. So. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Sergey? I learned programming in university, and it was with Java, and. I did not do very well uh, on that. <laughs> and then uh, I accidentally learned Ruby and after that, Python and Django, essentially. And then I realized, hey, I like programming. I just don't like Java. 
and um, everyone has their own preference uh, why why you like a certain language or uh, framework. And for me, it's Django. So I started looking for a job uh, with Django because I, it was my hobby, and I I turned my hobby into a job eventually. So mm-hmm. That's pretty great. But along the way, through the benefit of my employer, we also got to go to conferences. Like I've been to DjangoCon three or four times, uh, been to Django Under the Hood uh, two times, uh, all sponsored by my employer. So that's really great. But you also meet the community there. And uh, you see a lot of conference talks that also are not talking about just the technical side of things, but also the people side of things and open source and, and how to deal hmm. with the community and how to be a good citizen in the community. And that really spoke to me. Um, so in, in that sense, we get a lot out of uh, Django as a technical framework, but also as a community. So we definitely always had the position personally and as a company to contribute back uh, to that uh, in, in various ways. And then if you look at uh, open source in uh, government landscape uh, and, and you see big contractors uh, squeezing municipalities for a lot of money with closed source private uh, software and and the kind of service they get for that, and then we're thinking like, hey, but you can develop things in an open source way, and then you can do it open source, and then have a certain licensing model or not, but at least be transparent and have components that are easier to reuse, and you can be really disruptive against those big uh, consulting firms that have more lawyers than developers, uh, for example. <laughs> yeah, I. It's it's a utopic idea, but I like to put my shoulders uh, under it and and uh, try to achieve that uh, utopia. Mm-hmm. Certainly, that community, right? Like the Python community, Django community, they are known for for being really socially conscious and involved in in yes. contributing back. So yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And so you go from the sort of ideological, but also you you have you have your feet firmly planted in the reality of this because Making Media started this implementation of OpenSock, uh, and then Contesa and others have joined in. Now, my experience is that developers tend to get along, kind of regardless of which who their employers are, but that the that when there's friction, it, it usually is is because developers are feeling some pressure from their employers rather than from each other. But how has it been uh, uh, for each of you? Has it been easy for it to, to collaborate across these different vendors, these different companies doing this developing in the open like that? Or has it been challenging? Um, it's been good so far, but I think that's uh, that's partially because uh, we haven't really had any other Python Django developers contributing. So um, as as we have Cherk here, uh, he's not a Python developer. He's, he works with Alfresco. Um, we so work with Java. Yeah, he works with Java, and, yeah, and, yeah, he knows, and I don't have to. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that that's the thing. So we are not seeing a lot of contributions code wise yet. So it's all happening on a higher level. Uh, which is fine. So you can reach an agreement and stipulate a certain path you want to take. And then the development, it, it will get done some way or another. It doesn't really matter who does it as long as you agree that, hey, this is the broad sense of how things have to happen. Things that typically raise conflicts, like y- you can have people complain about line lengths or uh, if, if brackets have to be on a new line or on the same line, for example. All those kinds of potential nasty discussions they are abstracted away through automated uh, uh, CI, so using GitHub. So 
it's the system screaming at them, uh, people violating the linting rules and not another person. So you already remove a lot of friction in that way because it's automated, it's configured, it's what the code base currently uses. And you kind of just stick to it. So yeah, yeah people-wise, I, I think most people are here with good intentions of actually mm -hmm. just making the product better for everyone. It's important to realize that if you think of a certain feature that you think can this benefit other people and then contribute it back to the main project rather than forking the project, for example. Mm -hmm. That's been going well so far. Yeah. And I do also think that the, because uh, like OpenZak and we have at Contessa, we have the, the, the product Tessa and we all have these common ground uh, thoughts about it. And we, we really, really want to join this uh, way of thinking, of thinking in the, in the common ground. Is that we, yeah, we all, uh, um, we all want to re achieve the same goal here. So that's why, uh, that's why, like I said, it doesn't really matter how you, how you develop, it doesn't really matter, but you, you want to reach the same goal. And that's, I think, the main thing what's, what's important here. It, it also goes both ways, uh, in, in a sense. So the, the application that Tjerk is speaking about needs OpenZAC because as far as I know, mm -hmm. it's currently the only viable implementation of the standard. Yeah. But it all works in the opposite way. Yeah, we're just providing APIs. The actual end users, citizens, municipalities, they don't get any value out of that without having applications that use OpenZAC. Right. Um, so for adoption, it's it's hugely important to not just look within your own ecosystem, but get the wider ecosystem mm -hmm. involved and, and also do some marketing work in a sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, also searching for other companies too like develop a kind of application where we can connect to our, uh, to our application or to OpenZAC. So we we want that uh, also goal is to to search for other companies to join this this common common ground thought. Okay, so uh guys, um maybe I don't know. I want to start thinking about closure. Not this is not going to be the last one, but you know, in order to get closer there, what are the yeah? I don't know, like the lessons you've learned so far uh, when when collaborating on when working with with public code. Make sure you have the contact details of people in the, <laughs> <laughs> in the project you're working on. Yeah. If you uh, uh, discover security vulnerability, for example, it's nice if you can send emails or uh, call people. Mm -hmm. uh, even yeah. within the technical steering group. Yes. I, uh, yeah. I had the benefit of working with uh, Tjerk and uh, Tahir in this case for a uh, municipality of Utrecht to work mm -hmm. together. So I happened by coincidence to have their email addresses in my, in my mailbox address list. But otherwise I would have had a problem because not everyone is looking at Slack all the time. Yeah. 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 And what about you, Tjerk? Uh, well, same. And 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 uh, what I learned a lot is, is talk about eventual customers who's going to use our products and uh, and and talk, talk a lot about for what do you want, how do you want to see it, and and show them what what you have, and maybe uh, based on what they say or, or what their expectation expectations are, adjust it to your own application. So talking with the customers also helps because it's public, but also the eventually users are it's important information that you get back from them. Mm -hmm. There's one topic that also keeps popping up, and uh, that's the topic of funding. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so uh, public code is nice, um, but you do notice that 
yeah, what is it again? The, uh, the whole open source thing, free as in free software and not as in mm -hmm. free beer. Exactly. It's uh, yeah, it, it applies a lot because you see people. Oh, OpenSack is open source, and the Docker images are publicly published on Docker Hub, and there's no licensing involved because it's a EUPL uh, licensed. Uh, so I will just deploy that myself and and, and run it and. That's it. They don't pay for support because they can manage it mm -hmm. themselves. But it also means that there's no there's no funding flowing back to the community. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the people working on this, yeah, you either do it in your free time and you can last uh, doing that for five years and then you're sitting at home with a burnout. Mm -hmm. Or you get constructive funding models that actually keep the project alive. Uh, so that's a, that's a big challenge, um, I, yeah. I'd say, yeah, with open source in general, not not yeah. only just public code, but open hmm. source in general. Definitely, yeah. I think this is where I would like to plug the uh, product steering team uh, for OpenSAC that are getting together on those mm -hmm. kind of topics to ensure that as there's more installations, that that there will be funding connected to these things, that there will be procurements of support contracts and similar. But as you each are developers, hopefully you don't have to spend too much of your time in meetings about tender and procurement and, and such, but I'm sure you get uh, more exposure to that than you wish. I just remembered one more thing that I, mm -hmm. uh, that, that a lot of people take for granted. So the, the GitHub link has passed by a couple of times already uh, for OpenZAC. So it's clear that we host the repository and the source code on GitHub, but GitHub provides us with a lot more than uh, than just the hosting. So I'm, I don't like saying it, but I think Microsoft uh, did a really good job in buying uh, GitHub and providing them with the tooling and the infrastructure because we we're able to migrate uh, our continuous integration. So all the tests running uh, from Travis CI, who changed the licensing model to GitHub Actions, uh, which has been a breeze. It was very pleasant to set up. It uh, works well. And the whole security advisory flow with GitHub and the tooling they provide with the, with the private fork of the repository, it was very pleasant to see, hey, this is a really nice feature. So GitHub uh, really helps in maintaining open source software uh, with high quality. Yeah. Uh, I, I, not just the code base, but the entire uh, process uh, around it. Yeah, we've been working with that as well. As, as you may or may not know, the standard itself, which is hosted on, on GitHub, uh, that currently is uh, using Travis for the testing around that, but we're developing, we're doing that with the GitHub Actions as well. And the the transition is super easy for us. Uh, so far, so good. It's uh, it's. Uh, I I completely agree. I echo that sentiment. I think there that Microsoft, at least so far, but I have reason to believe that that will continue into the foreseeable future. Uh, that Microsoft has done a really good job stewarding uh, the direction of GitHub. It looks like it. Uh, so I have a question uh, for, for you two, and that is, I think, the last question here, and that is, who would you like to see on this show for uh, Jan and Alba to, to, or maybe me, to, to interview in the future? Who would you like to see uh, come on here and talk about public code? One, one person or maybe? Yeah. No, what well, would be interesting? I think it would be interesting is that maybe eventually developers of the of municipalities will talk about working with public code in the future. So what I what I see now is that they use applications and they're all built for one municipality or maybe a couple of more, but they never used public code before, mm -hmm. like we use it now. So 
I think I think it would be interesting for it to be more more in the future to talk with developers from municipalities working with public code. That's a good one. Interesting. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And Sergey? Yeah. I want to throw the uh, analytics team under the bus. Uh, That's a very good idea. I'd like to see analytics talking as well. Yeah, I think they're doing some some cool stuff. Uh, also, the tech behind it is interesting. And I think they can also use the platform a little bit to, to maybe convince more municipalities to start using this. I agree. That's a great suggestion. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. So we need to get some more developers on uh, talking about using public code, and maybe we can throw a different team under the bus. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So well, th this has been a, a very very nice chat, but yeah, we have to wrap it up as as we've been saying. We've uh, certainly thought it was this was a topic worth sharing, and uh, yeah, thank you guys for your time, and thank you for joining both Eric and me today. Yeah, thank you, dude. Thank you for being a lovely yeah, guest. Uh, <laughs> rather, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was yeah. thinking I cannot use the wrong word, and then I did it anyway. So, oh, well. It's <laughs> fine. And yeah, be, before finishing the live cast, uh, I would like to remind you all that uh, the audio version of this will be out tomorrow evening. You can subscribe to the podcast at podcast dot publiccode.net and uh, yeah we also have a YouTube channel so you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel as the cool kids are saying nowadays if you prefer the, the video format and uh, yeah we'll be back in a month uh, we already have someone that accepted our invitation so hopefully we'll be back soon also we'll see each other soon well Eric it's been a, a pleasure having you here today thanks for, for, for coming absolutely <laughs> it's good fun thanks for inviting me on yeah, and just one more thing to say before finishing. Yeah, if you want to engage in even more interactive sessions, you can join us in our community calls, which uh, you can sign up for in the link in the footer in our site, which is uh, publiccode.net. And also, I would like to thank Jan, who has been today uh, in the production. So thank you, Jan, for, for your job as well. And uh, yeah, see you soon, all of you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>